having control, I think, is um, critical these days. It, it, it allows you to marry your supply to your demand and your disposal models, and it gives you some kind of protection in the business. So um, that's an important first step as far as I'm concerned. It's time for a new era of communication in the swine industry, one that you can get the latest updates while commuting or driving to farms. Here you will have the brightest minds of the global swine industry in your pocket. Swine It podcast is only possible with the support of forward-looking and innovative sponsors like NutriQuest, experts serving producers and delivering breakthrough solutions. Genesis, the first power in genetics. Zinpro, essential trace minerals, exceptional performance. Every Pig, a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Just all, always one step ahead in swine feeding. Adiseo provides programs and services to help producers achieve their targets in a high quality, safe and sustainable way. Elanco's Prevacent, a new PERS Spective. Visit prevacentprrs.us to learn more. Welcome to Swine Podcast. My name is Marcia Gonçalves, your host for today's episode. This episode's sponsor highlight is about every pig. The truth is precision swine production is not the future, it is the present. Every pig is the intelligent pig health platform. It is a simple yet powerful pig health and production management tool. Request a free 20-minute demonstration at www.everypig.co slash swineit. Hey, Marcia, how are you? Doing good. How are you, Rob? Well, thank you. So let's mm. uh, get your brain here today. Appreciate your your time. And uh, no, my pleasure. Yeah. So if you can start, Rob, by sharing a little bit of your background for those that don't know you and uh, how you evolved through your career. Yeah, sure. Um, uh, my career started a long time ago now, so probably in... Uh, <laughs> In pigs full-time was 1990 uh, when I did my PhD and from there I went and became a research scientist in nutrition uh, for the South Australian government and I did that for uh, six or seven years ultimately uh, became a nutrition consultant and then through that process got involved with the Cameron Hall McLean group in Queensland in about 2002 mm-hmm. uh, and ultimately ended up chairing the board of that company um, and in 2016, we decided to integrate their companies. And uh, when we took on that integrated supply chain, I moved into an executive role. So now I'm the, the group CEO and managing director of, of Sunpork, Sunpork, which is now it's a 46,000 sow aggregation across Australia and um, then another three odd thousand sows in New Zealand. Very good. And it's, uh, it always impressed me the amount of uh, research, right, that you guys do in Australia. Um, any insights there, like, you know, why is that? Or if you, I guess if we had to calculate the number of pigs under trial divided by the sow inventory in the country, you guys probably would be at the top. So why is that? Um, look, we have enjoyed a... Um really good research history it's had some highs and lows and i suppose we're probably at a a low point in the cycle at the moment okay um but traditionally we have invested very heavily in research um 
we probably need to do that from the point of view that uh, our pork per se is not discernibly different. We don't have any uh, specific attributes. Um, so if we have to compete on a cost of production basis, we're well behind. Um, our labour costs are very high. Our freight costs are very high. Um, now our feed costs have been high in, uh, in drought conditions, etc. So um, really, if we're to be competitive, we've had to invest heavily in, in research. Um, that's one reason. The other reason is the Australian government's been quite supportive of agricultural research and uh, there have been a number of good systems. So for every, every pig that dies, a dollar goes to a levy and the government matches that, that dollar. So there's a base $10 million pool to start with. Mm -hmm. And we've also had the cooperative research centre schemes where we've been able to bring key players in industry together um, to create, you know, 30, $40 million pools of cash for eight-year research programs. And that's been, you know, really, really uh, useful for the industry. Very good. And so that dollar you say is that Australian dollar or and what's the currency? I don't, I don't recall now. The, the uh, it's Australian dollar and we're about 70 cents US at the moment. So, okay. okay. Yeah. Cool. And so from the last several decades there, Rob, what, what do you think would be the top few uh, studies or areas that you, you, you saw significant advance there through, through research? Yep. Um, oh, look, one piece of research where we have a significant competitive advantage is the, the NIR calibrations for digestible energy. Um, and for reactive lysine in oilseed meals. Mm. And the reason I say um, it's a competitive advantage is that research has taken place over the last 20 years. Mm. And the way the research program was set up, um, we can integrate different years' worth of research into the same calibration. So we run um, what we call... Uh, we, we, we run samples every year that allow us to link the research back to the previous year. So that's very hard to set up from scratch and it would take a very, very long time to generate the same pool of samples that we have um, with that level of research integration over a 20-year period. So that technology is commercially available now and uh, is being used more and more widely and it generates reasonable returns for the Australian pork industry that we then reinvest in research. Oh, wow. So, uh, you know, that's... I think that's a unique piece of research that Australia has stood out on in, in previous years. Other areas where we've done a lot of research, I think, were in relation to use of ractopamine, use of um, um, Improvac or Improvest. Yes. Uh, you know, we, we've done a, a massive amount of that. Unfortunately, ractopamine's now, you know, totally out of the market from a customer demand perspective. Yeah. But... Um, we use uh, the Improvac uh, very widely because most of the retail um, carcasses in Australia are male and we don't castrate. So pretty much every, mm. every male pig um, is, is uh, vaccinated. And if we go to more recently, you know, so, some of the really interesting stuff I'm seeing is uh, through the Eugenie Rohrer's group at the University of Queensland. Uh, he has a PhD student called uh, Max Bravo who's been doing some work on the influence of different amino acids on, on satiety. Mm. And uh, he has some really interesting results, which, wow. you know, kind of suggest you know, excesses of lysine, et cetera, can have quite 
a negative impact on on feed intake. So we look at the the safety factors, if you like, in the amount of uh, lysine we allow in in diets, as an example. Yeah. It's a really interesting path of research, and there'll be a lot more to follow on from it. I'm sure. Very interesting. And is he looking mostly? Uh, finishing pigs or also gestating sows? At the, at the moment, he's looking primarily at wiener pigs, but okay. uh, um, he's really focused on the mechanisms and which amino acids affect which um, satiating uh, factors in which part of the gut. Wow. So, uh, uh, and he's you know created quite a, an interesting portfolio of research that, uh, like all good research, probably asks more questions than it answers. Um, <laughs> but I think there'll be a lot of people very interested in what he has to say. Yeah. And I also wonder if it's, uh, is it because of the lysine that's lower or because since the lysine is lower, uh, the tryptophan ratio and the valine ratio is higher. So maybe that's why they have higher intake. But I, I would be very... No, he's actually looked at that and he's actually um, relating the lysine intake to the release of specific satiating uh, hormones and, and uh, other factors wow. in the gut. Wow. Yeah. Very nice. So it's very interesting. Mm. I guess another area that you guys have done very interesting research is the simplifying the number of diets, right? And uh, what's been the uptake there and uh, have you guys implemented or what's the status? It's, uh, it's interesting that you asked that question because I was going through some internal research on single diets yesterday okay. uh, within, within Sunpork. And, um, you know, I've obviously been involved as a director of the Pork CRC and of Australian Pork Limited with all of that early research that was done in Australia with single diets. Mm -hmm. And... Um, the data is the data, but then uh, marrying that to, to commercial realities and, and risk mitigation from a commercial reality perspective is, is another thing altogether. Right. Um, and uh, look, the research that we've done in the past on, on nutrition is, is excellent. I mean, there is obviously a change in requirements as we move, um, you know, from a little pig to a, to a big pig. Mm -hmm. um, and until I see some research that shows that there is um, a benefit, if you like, through maintaining a single diet through less changes affecting intake, mm -hmm. um, I still conceptually struggle with the concept that um, you can take a big hit early on and make up for it later on. Why not try and marry those phases if there's no negative impact of a diet change? And if there is, in Australia, a small push to increase P2, that can actually push a significant portion of that pig population out of our premium markets. So while you might have a cost of production saving, you can have a value chain uh, depression. So I would like to see a lot more um, research done on the single diet concept, particularly over the change of seasons, where we come from maybe a, a very warm season into, into autumn, for example, where the pigs traditionally eat a lot more. Mm -hmm. where they've had a slow start and when they're coming into um, a better diet and they're eating a lot, how that affects the outcome. Right. That's number one. The second thing, Marcio, is worldwide, even with renewal of the NRC recommendations, etc., worldwide, we haven't done any detailed requirement studies the way we used to do them. Mm -hmm. 20 or 30 years ago mm -hmm. with our modern genotypes. We, you know, we, we often extrapolate a lot of data. That type of research is very expensive. 
And to be honest, I mean, I think there's a lot more to be gained out of, out of some detailed requirement studies done properly, empirically, like we used to do them, mm-hmm. that give us the new new requirements um, and trying to review our diets relative to that because we're dealing with a very different pig to right. the one that when all that traditional research was done. So I would love to see some worldwide investment in proper requirement studies. Yes. Um, and, and let me ask you there, when you say, are you talking mostly nitrogen balance studies or, 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 or those response of... Um... Those response type studies um, with different nutrients. I mean, an interesting thing is requirements are going to be, you know, they're, they're dependent entirely on intake. Um, and I, I can put a challenge out there. Go and look at how the intake figures in NRC have changed in 30 years. Right. They haven't. Right, right. Very, very little. Okay. (laughs) And that's just not true. We know the intake has has dropped significantly. So I think we need to do do some some revisiting of of requirement studies. No, completely agree. Um, Yeah. Well, my experience when I, when I go into the NRC model and I, because there's the Excel spreadsheet and I update the, the data there like PD max or intake and other things, Actually, the wind finish turns out to be fairly accurate to the when folks go and do a dose response of just uh, feed the pigs and weigh the pigs type of study. So I, I think that's comforting. But then the gestating yep. side of things is where it, it's yeah, uh, it's interesting, right? Very, because very limited. It's all extrapolation from growers, and I suppose um, if you're outside of North America how valuable those NRC data points are for us Uh is questionable. We're in a different environment with a different pig with a different set of ingredients. ingredients. So um, we are extrapolating grower data primarily in terms of uh, digestibilities, et cetera, of ingredients and then requirement studies are very difficult. Right. And I think uh, Ron Ball from Canada and Cristal Levec, they, they did some nitrogen balance for gestation, but, but it's, it's a whole different ballgame, right? Because you need way more, you need a lot of sows to be able to do some of them. Mm. I love it. I love it. Very cool. How about if we transition a little bit into the leadership side of things and, you know, just running a business, a pig business uh, for you, what has been the biggest lessons there? had a variety of, of challenges. I suppose when I look at what's happening in the US now and I look at uh, comparing our New Zealand business with our Australian business, with the amount of capital you have to invest in, in pig farming these days, mm-hmm. um, I'm certainly more comfortable having control of a business that goes from genetics to retail than I am stopping at the farm gate or alternatively being a processor and relying on on somebody to supply me with all my pigs. So right. having control, I think, is um, critical these days. It, it, it allows you to marry your supply to your demand and your disposal models, and it gives you some kind of protection in the business. So um, that's an important first step as far as I'm concerned. Um, and then I think, you know, I say in Australia, we're too... Two, two viruses away from oblivion. You know, coronavirus can shut down our slaughter plants. If we get African swine fever in Australia, it's, a, it's going to be a very different operating environment um, because under our emergency animal disease legislations, you know, the government really does 
step in and control what will happen. You, you don't have a lot of, a lot of say. Right. So biosecurity um, and maintaining that at front of mind at all time at every level of, of the operation is, is critical here. Um, on a positive note, with no international travel to Australia, we've had a reduction in the number of people bringing pork products in, in, their, right. in their suitcases. Right. But we're still seeing significant amounts being uh, intercepted at the Sydney and Melbourne postal centres um, okay. where people are sending uh, pork products into Australia that you know, could put us at, at significant risk. Um, yes. And finally, it, like any business, it comes down to engagement of your staff, um, having that, that staff engagement. And you need to spend probably a lot more time on that than you do on the on the technical aspects of, of pork production and pork processing because with an engaged workforce, the rest becomes much easier. Yes. Yeah, it's super interesting. The, yeah, you guys are so close there to China and uh, wow. It's, uh, did you ever pick up a positive sample at a, at a port or airport or no? We, they have detected um, uh, non-viable um, ASF um, fragments in products mm -hmm. that have been seized. So uh, fortunately, there's never been any any uh, cultural um, virus that's entered the country that we're aware of. Nice. And, you know, hopefully our distances and population density does also mean we have a chance of controlling it relatively quickly if there ever was um, an outbreak in Australia. Very good. And you mentioned engaging the, the people, Rob. Um, any, any tips there or any, when you think about that, what do you think as strategies uh, to, to improve the people side of things? Yeah, um, I mean, the focus on de-siloing the business. So don't, you, know, you have to have a business that integrates rather than this is the, this is the uh, farming unit, this is the processing unit, this is the retail unit. You need to make those business units, um, you don't want to have any definable boundaries between them really. Mm. You need every staff member to be working towards a common goal. And while... You know, you might think you're good at it. You can't spend too much time on communication at every level of the of the business. As soon as there's some uh, perception that, uh, you know, the leadership team operates at a different level to um, the guys on the slaughter floor or in the piggeries, mm -hmm. things start falling apart. So you need to be able to communicate as effectively from the coalface right through to the board. Very good. I love it. I love it. Um, a few other things that, that I wanted to touch base from what we discussed already, um, Rob, one on the, the improv, Improvac or Improvast, um, different names, right? Different countries, but uh, your marketing weight is, is, is what live would be 105, 110 or what? Yeah. It? I mean, it depends on, on the market. So some, some retailers, uh, like a lighter weight, so they might be taking a 70, kilo average, 72 kilo average dead weight. Caracas. Um, others, other retailers take 76 to 78 kilos. And then in Australia, we have Costco. So they'll take 100 kilo dead um, because they base Costco in Australia exactly the same as the US. So uh, there's, there's no real difference there. So we have quite a wide weight range of, um, Market. of markets. 
Okay. Okay. Because because as you think about that, and also the single diet in 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 the U.S., you know, uh, K State and a few other folks ran the similar concept, right? Two or three diets, simplifying and. And and it's funny for some folks that that listen. Um, you mentioned single diet, but don't know the market weight. Uh, it, some of the other studies, I think, uh, w- they were okay at a single diet because it's a lighter peak than, than the US, which is one thirty kg um, or so uh, live weight, right? So two diets. Yeah. So with a, a single diet, you've got more flexibility with a lighter sail weight. That's for sure. And I worry uh, if we're going to the heavier weights. And for a very long time in Australia, we've pushed for heavier weights or, or sorry, the producers have pushed for heavier weights okay. while the markets have pushed back. So Costco in Australia is unique in that they've shown us how to produce and deal with a heavyweight peak okay. and that's mm-hmm. been quite successful for them. In the COVID environment, you know, where people have lost their jobs, um, they're looking back for more home cooking, basic you know, meat products, there's a bigger demand for our standard primal roasts, etc. Mm-hmm. So even some of the, the retailers that have traditionally wanted lighter pigs are now looking for a heavier weight. So instead of uh, two roasts out of a, a leg or a shoulder, they can now get three with the same number of pigs. So um, we are seeing a shift. It is not all, um, you know, it's not the money-making uh, Uh, panacea that everybody thinks might be the case particularly when you have a drought and you have very expensive feed because in that last five weeks where you go to the heavier weights they eat a hell of a lot yeah so um so yes as we push to those heavier weights and a wider range in different markets we do need to be cautious about uh, uh, single diet approach and and how that might impact our our premium product very good. And uh, I was going to mention about the improv, improvest and, and I was just thinking that, you know, of course, I believe Brazil and, and Australia are probably the places that use it the most. Any any thoughts there? Because, of course, in the US, I think it's mostly, you hear a few different stories, right? Uh, you know, how to process it, um, but also the percept, mostly probably the perception of, of the consumer what, what are your thoughts there? Any, any advice on that arena? It's interesting about consumer perceptions because sometimes those perceptions are simply there to uh, um, provide leverage around price or uh, um, hmm. you know, an easy path to that market. And with less pigs in Asia, the acceptance of uh, male pigs that have been improvact is increasing hmm. So because they're more interested in having access to the pork. Right. Um, but look, Improvac or, or the whole concept of vaccinating against gonadotrophin uh, really um, mm-hmm. is a very effective concept. It works very, very well and it significantly reduces the incidence of, of boar taint. And um, from a wel- welfare perspective and from a cost of production perspective in Australia, castration is out of the question. We, that is not an option, whatever size male pig we produce. So... Um, a product like Improvac is very much, um, and it's, a, it's an important part of our production system and the markets in Australia and uh, New Zealand are certainly very comfortable accepting male pigs that have been Improvac um, mm-hmm. into, their, into their retail markets. 
So, so that's very positive. Um, where there's a concern or something that we need to manage is obviously the more vaccinations, the more chance there is of a, a broken needle or an abscess. Mm -hmm. So the procedures around needle management, around um, hygiene and abscess management have to be um, very tightly controlled mm -hmm. um, because the last thing we ever want to do is to have an undetected broken needle in, in a product. So in any form of reduction in antibiotic use, more judicious use of antibiotics, we're going to see more vaccinations. So it, it's not something that's going to diminish. It's only going to increase unless we come up with better ways to, to vaccinate. So for me today, the biggest thing that we could do to improve um, the use of a product like Improvac is to have better detection systems for needles and abscesses in carcasses. And to be blunt, all the work we do on, on eating quality of pork is second if we can't detect basic mm. um, contaminants that might exist through the process of producing that, that pork. And, you know, there are really no detectable needles that, are, that can be found without an X-ray. And, um, you know, it's very difficult to detect abscesses prior to a, a carcass going into a boning room. So uh, these are technologies I'd love to see developed rapidly. Very good. Yeah, that 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 makes total sense. Um, and then, uh, on I guess two questions: one on the antibiotics, the trend there, what do you see, and and then second, the um, the whole thing that that I always like when I travel to Australia, I always like to get the 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 insights on the border and not I guess not importing genetics. Uh, so of course that's a common question there. So thoughts on the antibiotics trends there, Rob. I'll talk on behalf of our business. I mean, we, we see it as critical um, and we have a very, we have our own veterinarians and we have a very strong focus on more judicious use of antibiotics. So we started a, a dedicated program of um, uh, antibiotic use reduction in the business in 2017. And we're about um, 57, 60% reduction now on where we started. So very, very positive pro progress. And we don't use any critical antibiotics um, that from a human health perspective. So that's been very, very positive pro progress. And I think um, anybody involved in pork production is going to have to have the same level of, of focus. Um, with, of course, removal of in-feed antibiotics being um, the first and the biggest step you can take uh, to have a reduction. Um, in terms of antibiotic-free production, if that is only possible by having two streams where these are the ones that were never treated and all the rest to go over here, that's not sustainable, certainly not in a big business. So mm -hmm. that's just marketing from my perspective and you're kidding yourself if you think you've made progress in that respect. So not an option um, long-term. Just a parenthesis there. Why is that? Just because you, you, you need to completely change your mindset to like burn the boats and go all in or what's the thoughts there? Well, I think, um, I mean, you, you really aren't making progress. You're still heavily reliant on antibiotics. If any, any animal has to be directed into a, an antibiotic stream, ah. it's managed in the same way that you used to. Right. Okay? You haven't made progress. There's just the lucky few that weren't treated. Mm -hmm. uh, that end up in the antibiotic-free market. 
Got it. Just remember, the more of that that happens, the more it'll be expected as a base and something's going to have to happen with all these pigs that are treated with antibiotics. So, you know, you're better off having every pig on a level playing field when it hits the market and truly trying to work towards uh, reduction. That's that's my view there. Yeah. Um, so, and look, more vaccines, um, uh, obviously the way forward there. Very good. And better and better genetics if you can get some disease resistance in there. Mm -hmm. um, the second part of your question was around genetic imports into Australia. Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, so look, a, a very before you even get to genetic potential, mm -hmm. um, the current import protocols for Australia mm -hmm. won't change while the Australian pork industry maintains a hard line on the importation of genetics in any form. DNA to semen. Um, now, I think semen into Australia is unlikely ever. Um, if anything was to change, you know, there are plenty of ways to bring in uh, DNA without bringing in um, pigs or, or semen if we needed to introduce more diversity into our, our herds. Mm -hmm. So um, if we're to protect our domestic fresh meat market um, and remove the risk of any of those diseases that we don't have, like PERS and uh, African swine fever, et cetera, we're not importing. That's just firm. So how does that then affect us um, from our genetic potential and our international competitiveness from a cost of production point of view? I think, um, again, people are looking for very short-term Band-Aid solutions. Uh, if we can produce 30 pigs uh, per sale per year, that's going to solve all our problems. <laughs> Actually, all it'll do is flood our markets and the price will go down so low, everyone goes broke. So these things can't be done in, in single steps. Mm. With genomics, mm -hmm. since we've been involved in that, our rate of genetic progress has, has gone up exponentially. Nice. You know, our larger farms now that are in the order of, uh, you know, say our 12,500 sow farm is now doing, you know, 26, 27 pigs per mated female per year. So, and that fits in very well with our capacity to eat during lactation, um, with our markets, with our current infrastructure. And uh, I, I think we now have more opportunities to look at more traits and development of more traits without loss of... Uh, of um, commercial performance without the need to import genetics from overseas. Interesting. And is there, as I understand, there's two concerns of uh, bringing, right, uh, genetics. One is the introduction of diseases, right? Um, yes. Diseases, but the other one is just the market aspect of things, like you said, right? Flood the market. Yep. Which one of the two is more important? Um, I think, I think uh, that, well, it, that's actually an easy question. It's disease. Okay. Because if you look at pork consumption in Australia, roughly half of it's imported now. Okay. So um, if we take 11 kilos per head per year as fresh and 14 kilos as processed, you know, half of that, 70% pro of that processed is currently imported. So um, oh. we have what's into this country, but it has to be frozen. It has to be cooked at the port of receival can't have any nervous tissue, etc. So, so um, we already have significant impact from overseas markets into Australia. Um, the capacity of those markets to influence our fresh meat market is probably limited anyway, because they're not going to have the capacity 
to get it here chilled and have sufficient shelf life um, on the retail shelves and they certainly can't defrost it and sell it as chilled. So, um, you know, definitely disease in terms of the major impact as a result of importation of uncooked pork that ended up in our supply chain. It is time to our famous three. A worldwide leader in animal nutrition, our company offers specialized technical support for nutritionists, veterinarians, and other animal production professionals. Our portfolio of programs and services include a wide array of high-performing feed solutions such as essential nutrients, palatability, feed preservation, mycotoxin management, and health and nutrition. To learn more about our company, visit us at www.adiseo.com. For knowledge and news from the global swine industry, access our partner, thepigsite.com. Last few questions I have for you. One is, what is your favorite uh, pig-related book? Um, I have to, there's, there's a couple. One's called Lesser Beasts. Okay. Um, they're more meat-related, I suppose, but there is a book called uh, Pig 5407 or something that has a little ear tag on the spine, and it's about that thick. And it goes through and uh, gives you every product that's made from a pig. Wow. And I just think yeah. it's great for awareness so people can see that, you know, we use every, everything but the squeal uh-huh. and, uh, and the number of everyday things that people utilize that have been derived from a pig. I, I think that's an excellent uh, uh, book. Yeah. Um, and the other one I, I like is a book by a guy called Simon Fairley called Meat, A Benign Extravagance, um, which really... Uh, counters a lot of the myths around the impact of meat on the environment and how meat fits into a modern diet, etc. So I, I enjoy those, those books. I need to check that out. I think I've seen the one you mentioned, the tag, and, you know, it's yeah. crazy, right? Uh, brushes, heparin, yeah. and all those things. Yeah. So, oh, and there's cool. a new market. I mean, the worldwide heparin market's gone, oh, gone yeah? through the roof. Yeah. No <laughs> it's kidding, right? a very profitable market at the moment. Wow. Um, how about uh, any book not related to pigs that, that has really changed the way you think? Here's a good book um, about leadership. That's about um, Shackleton's uh, uh, rescue of his stranded ships in Antarctica and how he led his team and stopped them eating each other. That was, uh, wow. yeah, it's, a good, it's an excellent book on, on leadership and, and uh, certainly changed the way I, I think. Um, there's also a new book um, uh, by a guy called Simon Sinek mm-hmm. uh, called The Infinite Game. Oh. Um, yeah, he's written a couple of other, yeah. other books like Leaders Eat Last and um, Start With Why. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then his latest book called The Infinite Game um, is great for um, you know, encouraging your team not to focus on you know, the short-term goals and, and having the short-term wins at all costs. It's more about the long-term journey and, and uh, playing for that game. Uh, and it makes some excellent comparisons between Microsoft and Apple, uh, et cetera, and, and how those wow. businesses developed because one had an infinite game in mind, the other one was playing the short, mm. short games. Wow, very interesting. And then lastly, uh, what do you think sets apart successful SWAN professionals from those that are not? Number one, they're, they're dedicated to the industry at all levels. So that's, that's their life. 
it's not, um, you know, I don't want to get in debates about work-life balance, but people that commit, <laughs> people com- that work industry are generally more successful than the ones that operate from the periphery uh, part-time, number mm-hmm. one. And it is an industry where you, it's so fluid, you, you need to be embedded in it to understand um, what's happening because this week's going to be very different to next week. Uh, there's always, always some, some challenges there. Um, the second thing, and, you know, other countries maybe like Canada have been way ahead of us, but Australia is catching up, and that is um, the reason I'm in my role as a managing director of a integrated pork business is because I'm a scientist. Mm-hmm. Um, my shareholders recognise that pork production is a science-based business today, and, um, and if you can combine a good firm science-based with business acumen, you're going to be very successful and un- and truly understand the levers that affect profitability and sustainability in pork um, you're then going to inform the research and make much better use of the research than you otherwise would do so that would yeah. be my suggestion i love it very very nice that's a good way to to end our conversation here today doctor thanks marcia appreciate your time today and uh, you're in the future there in australia so uh, it sounds like everything is fine in the future, so everyone should be should be happy. Yeah, hopefully. Um, <laughs> keep the viruses out. We've got, got some great opportunities here. Very good. Thanks so much. We've been in touch. No problem. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. Hey, everyone. Please share our episodes with as many people as you can so we can continue to impact the life of swine professionals from around the globe with the wisdom of our great guests. Before you go, make sure to get in our waitlist for the Swine Talks web conference, the first online conference of the global swine industry, an update on hot topics, and we're even gonna have some controversial topics of the global swine industry. So you can leverage that knowledge in your day today. Go to swinetalks.com and get on our waitlist. We'll talk soon.